to One Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. All right. Hey, if you have your Bible, would you grab it today and turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians? 1 Corinthians. I don't have my marker there. I'm going to have to find it. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Who is finishing up spring break? Any parents finishing up spring break? Some of you are like, your hands kind of tired. That's the exhausted end of spring break. Yes, I am. I am. Uh, well, we're so excited for the spring season. And we've got some great things coming up in the spring season. Uh, I mentioned already church in the park next week. Uh, also, uh, we're going to be wrapping up in the next couple of weeks, wrapping up Alpha. If you've missed Alpha, we've been having a great, great time on Monday nights with Alpha. And, uh, but that's just uh, going to lead into another great season of Connect Groups. And, um, you know, if you are new to one church, uh, one thing that is really a core value for us as a church is, is that churches is not just a place to go, it is a place to belong. It's not just, it's not like, um, you know, your favorite restaurant that you just kind of pop in when you feel like it. Uh, it is, it's a family, it's a home, and it's through connect groups that we really build relationships that we know one another and are known by one another. And so I really want to encourage all of you to uh, just be thinking now about connect groups and what group you'll be a part of. We'll be sharing with you the details uh, about those and a new spring season coming up, some new groups, uh, a new times as well. Uh, but today, I want to begin a new series of teachings uh, as it is the beginning of spring, kind of a, a, season, or a series of teachings that we will be looking at throughout uh, the spring season. And, uh, and, and we're calling this series of message, Inspire. Inspire. And uh, we are talking about spiritual gifts, Okay. And uh, I'm so excited about this because I really believe that God is going to do something in your life, uh, in your family, in our church, in your faith uh, through this series. And, um, and I'm, we're going to be looking at some passages of Scripture. But I actually just want to kind of preface it with, with this and uh, maybe a little uh, thought just to frame this series. Nate read just a, a moment ago out of Isaiah chapter 55 and uh, the, the verse that says, the word of God shall not return void. Uh, it shall accomplish what it was sent to do. How many of you believe that? Do you believe that God's word is effective, that the scripture has an impact on our lives? I believe that's true most of the time with one exception, Okay. Let me explain what I mean. Uh, the Bible talks in the book of Hebrews about a group of people that heard the word, but it did not profit them because they did not mix it with faith. And so the word of God is, is not effective just by itself. It is effective when it's mixed with faith. And so I'm going to do my best to teach from the word uh, about spiritual gifts, but uh, just as important as what I'm teaching is your level of faith in receiving it. You know, the, the Bible says that we are to receive the Word as it is the Word of God, not just the Word of men. And, um, you know, have you ever seen a, a, a wide receiver in football just stand there? How many of you know, if he just like stood there, the ball comes to him, he just, it just hits him. How many of you know that would be his last game? right? No, he's getting in position. He is ready to receive. And so I want to encourage you as we come to this series on gifts, as we talk about spiritual gifts, I want to encourage you to come ready to receive. Come with faith in your heart. It doesn't matter how good the teaching is, and I'm telling you, it's going to be done. It's going to be amazing. No, but the reality is it can be the best teaching that you've ever heard, but if you have no faith, it will not profit you. It will not do anything for you. And faith is, just, is not just a, a nice feeling in your heart. It's actually a posture that affects your whole life. The, the Bible says this, that there was a, a moment when Jesus was ministering and he saw a person's face. It says he saw 
their faith. Some of us say, well, faith is just in my heart. You can't judge my level of faith. No, the Bible says that the level of faith you have in your heart will actually show up in your life. Amen? Let me, let me give another illustration. If I said to my wife, who is actually sick at home today, if I said to her, sweetheart, I love you, but I don't feel comfortable showing it. I'm, I'm a, it's in my heart. I just want you to know. Like it's, de- it's in there. I'm, I'm more of an inward love person. It doesn't matter how much love I have in here. If it does not come out, how many of you know, it does not benefit me. It does not profit me. It doesn't make a difference. And the same is true in our lives that God wants us, when it comes to our, the, His Word, He wants us to be hungry, to be receptive, to be open for His Word. And so, uh, how many of you came with faith today? How many of you didn't have any faith when you came, but you're just grabbing some faith right now? You're, take, you're taking your neighbor's faith today? Well, I believe that God wants to speak to us, and so uh, let, let me pray, and then we'll, we'll get to the Word. Father, we thank You, Lord, that Your Word is living and active, and God, thank You that You are wanting to speak to us, and Lord, we pray that we would not go through religious motions today. God, we pray that we would not just... Um, Lord, be present physically, but God, we pray that we would be in faith, that we would be open and receptive and hungry. Lord, that your word would, uh, would bear fruit in our lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Help us now as we look to your word to have ears to hear and a heart to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, do you have 1 Corinthians chapter 12? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, if there is, as we start this series on spiritual gifts, if there was any passage in the Bible that would be perhaps one of the best places in the Scripture to study spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 would probably be that place. There's a number of other passages that we are going to look at, but this would be the, the place to go. And... Um, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm just going to read verse 1. He says this, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be ignorant. Now let me give a little context on who Paul was talking to so that we can understand the message that he is Bringing. Paul had gone to a, a city called Corinth. He had preached the gospel. They received the, the good news of Jesus. They believed in Jesus. He taught them about the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and they received it and they were excited and, and maybe a little too excited. If you know this context, uh, they actually it, they just received this message about gifts and they just started going crazy with gifts. They just went like church gone wild with gifts, okay? It was just, you know, they, they heard it to- about speaking in tongues, and they're like, that's awesome. I'm only going to speak in tongues. And so they were like greeting people at the door as they were coming in, speaking in tongues, and people were like, what in the world is going on? And, uh, and, and so it was just way uh, out of line. It was an abuse of the gifts. And the reality is that for many of us, when we talk about spiritual gifts, and there is some gifts in particular that we often feel this way about, and we'll talk about all of the, the, the spiritual gifts that the Bible uses, but we often have the same sort of response. We, we've often seen the same sort of thing. We have seen some abuses of the gifts. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You, you, you've seen uh, maybe a person, a church, maybe it was somebody on TV, and, and you know, they are talking about spiritual gifts, but it's just crazy. And, you know, we can have that. um, We can have the tendency to be like, okay, if that's spiritual gifts, no thank you. You know what I'm saying? If that's what it is, it's just craziness. No thank you. And to which I would say, I'm with you. No, if that's what it is, no thank you. But, But Paul does not say that to the church in Corinth. He does not say... Guys, y'all are just way out of line with these spiritual gifts, so no more spiritual gifts. Or like a, a parent, I'm ta- we're taking the toys, putting them away, okay? No more playing with the toys. You obviously don't know how to use them, right? 
that's not, that's not what he says. He, he doesn't say no more spiritual gifts. Here's what he says. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant. You see, the root of abuse in the area of spiritual gifts ultimately comes down to ignorance. And the answer, oftentimes churches say, well, if that's, you know, if that's what the gifts of the Spirit are, if that's what spiritual gifts are, then like, we just don't want, let's not have any of that. Put that away. And Paul would say, no, you need to teach on it. You need to understand spiritual gifts. And, and I believe that uh, perhaps the most important thing for us as a church in the season that God wants to bring us into, I believe, is even more important than, than having a building. And I think having a building would be great. If you have a building, come see me. I'd love for us to have a building. That would be great. Even more than, than, than financial increase and resources, those things are great. But more important than all of the practical things that we often look at to advance the mission of the church, I believe the most important thing is spiritual gifts. You don't sound convinced. Okay, it's week one. We've got work to do. So my goal is this. I'm just going to tell you right up front. My goal in this series is that by the end of this series, every single person would recognize and release the gifts that God has put within your life. That, that every single person would have this sense of, I was born for this. This is why I exist. I don't just get up and come to church just to warm a chair and kind of make it through my week, but, but there is a purpose for my life. I am living for a cause, and I am filled with the, the power of God for the purpose of God. And so Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. If we're going to understand spiritual gifts, I think there's something important in this verse for us to understand. And, and it's actually in the original language when Paul says, now concerning spiritual gifts, in the original language, and this is important for us to understand, it does not say gifts. Anybody, maybe if you look in your Bible, maybe your Bible is like mine, and gifts is in italics. Look at your Bible. Is anybody else, your Bible has gifts in italics? Some of you, uh, your Bible may have gifts in, uh, the word gifts in italics. That is because it was not in the original language. Paul actually in this context didn't say, I don't want you to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. It, it actually is the word pneumaticos. Pneumaticos. And that is a plural adverb without a noun which I know you woke up this morning going, I just hope he talks about the grammatical structure of that verse because I just think that has so much application to my life, right? No, but here's why it's important because a more literal translation is not, I do not want you to be ignorant regarding spiritual gifts. If it's a plural adverb without a noun, it is, I do not want you to be ignorant concerning spirituals. Spirituals. Or, or we could say it this way, the things of the Spirit, the things that the Spirit does, spirituals. And so as we begin to talk about spiritual gifts, it is important for us to understand first and foremost that spiritual gifts are first the things that the Spirit does. They, they are spirituals, and that's important because oftentimes when we talk about spiritual gifts, we want to go straight to the practical application. How many of you like practical application? Yes, we're going to get to practical application, but oftentimes if we don't understand what the Bible is saying when we talk about spiritual gifts, we default more to a glorified personality test. Come on now. Uh, that's good. Um, personality tests are good. But how many of you know your personality is limited? I know you guys. Y'all know me. Personality, personality is good, but personality will only get you so far, right? It can only accomplish so much. And so we default to a glorified personality test or just a volunteer drive. Now, that's important too, 
But here's what I believe God wants to do, is rather than someone forcing you to go fill a spot, I believe that God wants something to come alive on the inside of you, that there's something on the inside of you that's a deposit of God, deposited by the Holy Spirit, that when you step into that, it's not you're just filling a spot, but it's an overflow out of your life, that there is inspiration in what you do. And so in order to understand spirituals, we must understand the Spirit. Now, I know for some of you, uh, maybe you're here for the first time and you're like, this is super weird. Or maybe you're, you're a regular here and you're like, this is still super weird. Spirit, spirituals, what is this all about? I know for many of us, even when we talk about the Holy Spirit, it's like, just act natural. Don't get sucked into that spiritual stuff. Keep your composure. Oftentimes we have that mentality. We talk about, you know, sometimes when we think about God, we talk about the Father. We go, yep, the Father. I love the Father. I get the Father. I have a Father. He's a Father. He's a good, good Father. You know, sometimes we talk about Jesus and we go, yes, Jesus. You know, I love Christmas. He came to the earth. Easter, I love, he's risen. And, and we understand Jesus because he uh, is recorded in history. And so sometimes we talk about the Father, we go, I get Him. Sometimes we talk about the, the Son, we go, yep, Jesus got Him. But we talk about the Spirit, and it's like, huh? What? I think I'm just going to stick over here. I'm just going to stick with this stuff that I can understand. And so I want today as we talk about spiritual gifts, I want to begin to lay a foundation of understanding of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so we're going to look at the Scripture today. We're just going to do a little survey to help us understand the Holy Spirit. Now, again, we're going to get to practical things, but if we don't understand the Holy Spirit, if we don't understand who the Holy Spirit is, we'll always be striving in our own effort rather than living out of the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're just going to do a little survey throughout the Scripture. I need to move quickly through this. And so if you are taking notes uh, you can just write this down. If you're not taking notes, you can just write this down, okay? And, and, and go back and look at these things later because this is, uh, I'm just going to give you kind of an overview of the Holy Spirit throughout the Scripture. Anybody know the first place that the Holy Spirit shows up in the Scripture? Anybody know? Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Actually, the first person of the, of the Trinity to be named in the Scripture. And it says this. Uh, Genesis 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then verse 2 it says this. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the of the water. So there it was, the beginning of creation. There is nothingness, there is there is void, there there is darkness, and the spirit is hovering over it all. He is right there hovering over it in the Bible. Then it goes on to say, and then God said, let there be light. God began to speak into that, and suddenly creative power was released. But it started with the Holy Spirit. And here's what I want you to understand is that the Holy Spirit is the, the creative, life-giving presence of God. He's not a feeling. He's not a force. He's not kind of like spiritual superpowers. He is a person. And He is the person that gives life to everything. Before there was anything, the Holy Spirit was just hovering over. Some of you could attest to that personally. Perhaps before you came to faith in Jesus, maybe you came to a moment where your eyes were open. There was light. You saw the light. And then you look back and you go, before that moment happened, there was something that was just happening in my life. There was something drawing me. There was something moving in my life. What was it that was moving in your life? It was the Holy Spirit, the creative, life-giving presence of God. That's the Holy Spirit. Job echoes this, this reality in Job chapter 33, verse 4. He says, the Spirit of God has made me 
and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no life. You can, scientists can pontificate, they can research, they can study, they can look at the evidence of life, but one thing that scientists have never been able to come up with is where did it all begin? What is the source of the life that is in everything that has been created? And the Bible says that it came from the Holy Spirit. If you go on and read throughout the Scripture, you see this life-giving, personal presence of God dwelling among people. Dwelling among people. In, in, for, for Israel in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit dwelt among them in the temple lived among them in the temple, but there was also moments in time that the Holy Spirit would come on individuals. He would come on people and specific people for special tasks. He would come on them. I mean, just this, it's kind of a crazy thought to think about this life-giving power of God just coming on them. The Bible tells us about this again and again throughout the Old Testament. We see in the, in the life of Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 10, he was the first king of Israel. He had been anointed king and he was walking one day and he came up on a group of prophets and they were prophesying. And the Bible says this in 1 Samuel 10, 10, the Spirit of God came upon him and he prophesied. So that happens again and again. Gideon, another guy in the Old Testament, who the Holy Spirit came on him. He had this, this supernatural, unexplainable experience through the Holy Spirit coming on him. If you know the story of Gideon, you know that he, was, he, he called himself the least of the least. God came to him one day. He was in the wine press, and, and, and he was, uh, he, or maybe he was the threshing weed. I forget what he was doing. He was working and God showed up to him and said, Gideon, I've called you. And he goes, no, you got the wrong guy. I'm, I'm of the smallest tribe of Israel and I'm the least of the least. Anybody ever felt like that? God, you can't use me. Somebody else. I, I don't have that personality. I'm not from that family. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not that talented, that gifted, but God said, Gideon, I want you. And the Bible says this in, in Judges 6.34, that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. And when the Holy Spirit came on Gideon, it says that he blew a trumpet. There was often some sort of expression of this power that was deposited in them. And he blew a trumpet, and when he blew the trumpet, all of Israel began to follow him. So this guy who had been the least of the least, not voted most likely to succeed, not voted, uh, you know, best hair, way overrated. He, he didn't win any of the superlatives, right, Mark? It's way overrated, isn't it? He didn't win any of the su class superlatives, but when the Holy Spirit came on him, suddenly everybody began to follow him. It was a gift released into his life. Samson, another example in the Old Testament. We know the story of Samson. Often we think it was his hair that gave him this like power, but the Bible says that it was the Holy Spirit that came on him and enabled him to do amazing things. The Bible tells the story of one day a lion comes at him and he grabs the lion and tears him to pieces, as you do, right? How did he do it? It was the Holy Spirit, and so... Here's what I want you to see is that throughout the Old Testament, the power of God, this life-giving Spirit of God came on specific people at specific times, special people for special things. Only problem is, what if you're not one of the special people? Well, you're out of luck, right? I mean, that's, but there was this, there, there had been a prophecy, there had been this expectation given that there was going to be one who would come, who would have the Spirit not coming on him and lifting off of him. But Isaiah says this in Isaiah 11, verse 2. I know some of you are like, this is Bible study. This is boring. I'm just trying to lay a foundation for you, okay? Okay, thank you. <laughs> Isaiah 11, verse 2. It says that Isaiah, this is hundreds of years before Jesus was born. Isaiah says this. There will be a, a seed of David or a shoot off of Jesse, out of the, the branch of Jesse, 
Then he says this, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So there was this expectation that there was another one who was coming. Everybody else, the spirit would kind of come off on and off and on and off. But there was one who would come and it says that the spirit would rest on him. And not only that, but, but the prophet Joel said this, that he would pour out his spirit on all flesh. So there was this, this expectation that what had been up until that point reserved for a few, only for kind of this exclusive club that was going to be available to everyone. And then Jesus comes on the scene. The Bible tells us that from even the very conception of Jesus, that Jesus wasn't like other boys, like Pinocchio. He wasn't, he was different than other boys, right? The scripture says this, that the way Jesus was conceived, not the traditional route. The Bible says this, that he was conceived because the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary. And she, was, she conceived Jesus. So right from the very conception of Jesus, we see the Holy Spirit involved in the life of Jesus. And so it is impossible to love Jesus but be resistant to the Holy Spirit because Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. The scripture goes on to say this, at his baptism, up until this point, Jesus lived a relatively normal life. In fact, Luke chapter 2 verse 52 summarizes like uh, 20 plus years of Jesus' life by saying this, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. That's like 20 years right there, okay? So like pretty much a, a normal life, um, but then something happened to Jesus. The Bible tells us that when Jesus was 30 years old, he went to be baptized in the water. And this was something that was, that was familiar for that culture. They, uh, baptism was a sign of, uh, of dedication to God. Uh, as Israel had gone through the uh, Jordan River to go into the promised land, they had gone through the river. Baptism was people going back to that river, being dunked in that river as a recommitment. Anybody ever renewed your vows? Was too, too young for that? Okay. Jerry does it all the time. I was there one time. He renewed his vows. It's there. Where's, where's Justine? She's in kids? Okay. He thinks she's in kids. But they've renewed their vows, so it's good. Um <laughs> It was, a, it was a recommitment, rededication. They were going back, and, Je and Jesus is coming down to be baptized. And John the Baptist says this. He says, there, there is one that is coming after me whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. I baptize you with water, but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus goes to be baptized, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and remained on him. And that moment, up until that point, Jesus lived a pretty ordinary life. He just grew up. He got smarter. That was basically what he did. But at that moment, everything changed for Jesus. Like suddenly, Jesus goes to a whole nother level. It, it, the Bible says immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness and then he comes back to his hometown and he's like walking up and everybody's going, what happened to Jesus? There, there's something different about him. I just hear that, you can't tell by the way I'm on the door, I'm a dun, 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 dun. Spirit failed, I don't know, anyway. Um, They just see him. They go, whoa, what happened to Jesus? And Jesus comes into the temple. He takes the, he takes the scripture and he opens it up to Luke chapter 4, verse 18. And here's what he says. The, the inaugural speech of his ministry, he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Holy Spirit is upon me. What how, what was it that marked the ministry of Jesus? In Jesus' words, it was the power of the Holy Spirit. It was the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now let me ask you a question. If Jesus needed the Holy Spirit, 
How much more do we need the Holy Spirit? If he needed the Holy Spirit to do what God had called him to do, how much more do we all need the power of the Holy Spirit? And so Jesus lived his life. Sometimes just read the book of Luke and circle every time it says Jesus was filled with the Spirit in the power of the Holy Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. He, he lived his life and ministered out of the power of the Holy Spirit. And then as he finished his ministry in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Luke records Jesus' final words prior to ascending back to heaven. And he says this, don't uh, don't go out, don't, don't go minister yet. He says, wait in Jerusalem and you shall be clothed with power. Or, the whole, or he says this, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so Jesus' followers went to Jerusalem. They waited in an upper room. And the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2 that when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there, then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one set on each of them. How many of them? Each of them. Everyone. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, up until this point, they had kind of been fumbling bumbling, failing, dropping the ball every time Jesus asked them to do something. And suddenly he leaves, and they're still, I mean, up until that moment, they're still just messing up, falling apart, running away. But then the Holy Spirit comes on them, and Peter stands up. And the first sermon given in the church, he says this, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. That outpouring of the Holy Spirit that is not just for a select few, but is for every man and woman. It says that the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. Anybody here flesh today? Pinch your neighbor, just check, make sure. If you are flesh and blood, you qualify for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You qualify for that that empowering, life-giving presence of God on your life. In fact, let me say more than this, you not only qualify for it, you need it. You see, Acts chapter 2 was, was the beginning of that outpouring, but we see a repeated pattern throughout the Bible that every time people believe the gospel, receive the gospel, there was a repetition of this experience that happened on the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 19, we find the final account in the book of Acts. And it says this, that it happened while Apollos was at Corinth. So the church had been dispersed, spread out. Apollos went to Corinth, was preaching the gospel. Um, and Paul went, came to Ephesus. And when he came to Ephesus, he found some... Does everybody see what that word is? He found some disciples... And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, some people would say this, when you believe in Jesus, you have all that you need of the Holy Spirit. And to, to, so let me, let me just show you again here, Jesus had the Holy Spirit from birth, unlike anybody else, he didn't need to be regenerated by the Holy Spirit. He, he was without sin. He, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, but there was a distinct experience of the Holy Spirit coming on him. In John chapter 20, Jesus goes to his disciples after his resurrection and he breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, how many of you think if Jesus breathes on you and says, receive the Holy Spirit, how many of you think you have the Holy Spirit? Like, there's nobody else. That's it. Jesus... You, you have the Holy Spirit, but then he said, wait, and you will be clothed with power. There is a secondary experience that is distinct from salvation that is not just for you to go to heaven when you die, 
but it is for you to experience the life of God, the power of God, the life-giving presence of God here and now. And Paul goes to that group and he says, you are disciples. You're already following Jesus. You're already doing some good things. He says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? What does it take to, to be born again? It's simply faith in Jesus, right? Did they qualify were they followers of Jesus? It goes on to say, and what were you baptized into? They said, we were baptized into John's baptism. So these were guys that had, had, had believed the gospel. They were disciples of Jesus. They had been water baptized, yet Paul asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And here's what I want you to understand, is that there is a distinct experience of, from salvation that is being filled with the Spirit. And I would say this, it is not a one-time experience. It's like putting the first tank of fuel in your car. How many of you know you put the first tank in, but there's many more fillings that need to happen after that, right? And so, this was essential to what it meant to follow Jesus. Now, I know some of you have heard that and you go, okay, I see this thing of the Holy Spirit like throughout the Bible, uh, you know. But that's weirded me out even more. But okay, so let me, let me give you, I'm going to, I want to give you the words that the Bible actually uses for spirit. And I think this actually may help you. Oftentimes when we think of the spirit, we think of this like, you know, spiritual force and, and you know, somewhat understandable. But if we understand the words that the Bible uses for spirit, I think it's actually very helpful. There's two words that the Bible uses for spirit. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and the Hebrew word for spirit is a word called ruach. Can you all say ruach? You got to kind of get it down here. Ruach. Like you, you, you may need to spit after you say it, okay? So it's going to shake something loose, okay? Ruach. Let's say it again. Ruach. All right. So that is the Hebrew word for spirit, and that word ruach means wind, breath, a violent exhalation, or a blast of breath. Ruach means wind, uh, breath, a violent exhalation. So that's the Old Testament word for spirit. The New Testament word for spirit is pneuma. Pneuma. It's got a silent P. Pneuma. And uh, it also means a current of air Wind or breath. We, we may be familiar with that if you have, we've all heard the uh, condition pneumonia. It's from the same root. Pneuma, pneumonia, is a sickness of the, the breath, right? Everybody tracking with me? Okay, so pneuma, pneumonia, sickness of the breath. Pneumatic tools, right? That's air-powered, compressed air, right? Luis, am I right? Okay, I thought so. Um, it is, so pneumatic tools are compressed air. So these are the words that the Bible uses when it speaks of spirit. It's actually just the word breath or wind. That is where we get our word spirit. When we think of spirit, we think of, you know, sometimes there's, we use the translation the Holy Ghost, which just makes it even more weird because I, I just don't, I don't even like ghosts. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and, and so sometimes we think, Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, uh, no thank you. But, but if we would just understand, Spirit is actually from the, uh, a Latin word. The, the origin is spirare, which means to blow into or to be filled with breath. That's, we would talk about a respirator keeps a person alive through breath, right? And so I want to encourage you with this, that if you have been put off by the person of the Holy Spirit, if you would just understand that the Holy Spirit is simply the, the wind of God that is like wind in your sails. He does not make you weird or crazy or off the rails or, or do crazy things. He simply makes you come alive. The, the Bible says this, you shall receive power. In other words, the Holy Spirit doesn't overpower you. He empowers you. 
John Ortberg says it this way. He makes you become you -er. You just become you, but the best version of yourself. And here's what I want you to understand is that it's not just enough to believe in Jesus. We have to receive the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with the wind of God. We need to live inspired. We need to, everything that we do as a church, we need to not just come to church, we need to come to church inspired. When we worship, don't just worship. Don't just sing a song. Dude, go do that at Hard Rock Cafe or somewhere else. Don't just do that. The Bible says we worship in the Spirit. We are inspired. When we preach, we don't want to just preach and give a nice little Sunday TED Talk. We want to be inspired by the Spirit. If you're serving in some capacity in the church, don't just fill the spot. Be inspired. If you're going to set up and tear down, don't just uh, put that over here. Be inspired. My mom used to call it elbow grease. I don't know where that came from. Anybody other than Jarrett ever heard that before? Elbow grease. Put some elbow grease in it. She'd say, if you're sweeping, don't just uh, put some elbow grease in it. Do it with some inspiration. And I want you to understand this, that the Holy Spirit wants to inspire you. He wants to fill you like a, like a sailboat that's filled with wind, like, like, a, like um, I'm trying to think of some other examples. Just be filled, okay? Be filled. Live inspired. Don't just be a dad, be an inspired dad. Don't just be a mom, be an inspired mom, inspired boss, inspired student. So I want to give you four things, characteristics of wind that I think will help us to understand the Holy Spirit. Anybody want to understand the Holy Spirit? Okay, good. So four characteristics that since spirit just means wind, four things about wind that help us to understand the Holy Spirit. First thing I want you to see is that wind is unseen. I guess I can't tell you. I want you to see it. I want you to understand. Wind is unseen, right? Has anybody seen the wind? No. No. If you walk outside today after church, there's beautiful oak trees. Next week will be under the oak trees. I, I took a walk in the park this week, and it was just like, whoa, what a beautiful place. The wind just blowing through the trees, and um, I couldn't see any of it. I didn't see the wind, right? But how many of you know just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not there? I don't go, I don't believe in that wind because I don't see it, right? I don't go... I don't see the trees moving and go, this is so weird. Like, this is weird, guys. This is spooky, right? I understand there's, there, there are some things that although you cannot see them, it doesn't mean they're not real. And the Spirit is the same way. The Bible says this in John chapter 14, verse 16. Jesus says, I will pray the Father and He will give you another helper. T. Delicious. That he may abide with you forever, the spirit or the wind of truth, whom you cannot receive because, listen to this, it need, because, or the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You cannot see the Holy Spirit. Look at this little photo of an eagle soaring. Look at that. Isn't that so weird? That is so weird, guys. It is, I mean, just, just weird, freaky stuff, freaky stuff. Eagle, just suspended <laughs> in the air. No, none of us say that. We understand that it is soaring on the wind, right? Uh, an eagle <laughs> understands how, how to um, move into what is unseen, Right? And the same is true for every follower of Jesus. Sometimes we never move into the things of the Spirit because it is a leap of faith. I remember when I was a kid, I don't know if Jarrett went with me, but um, we went indoor skydiving. Were you there when we went indoor skydiving? Yep. So we went indoor. Anybody ever been indoor skydiving? 
Yep, it's pretty awesome. Um, it's, it's like this big wind tunnel, and there's this big fan at the bottom, and there's wind blowing in, and you go in in this jumpsuit, and you like get into the wind, and you begin to, I still got my leg there, I'm not doing it really, but you begin to float up into the air on the wind. Anybody ever, as a kid, you wanted to fly? Yeah, I, I wanted to fly as a kid, and that was, that was as close as I'm ever going to get to flying. I'm never actually going to jump out of a plane, so that was as close as I'm ever going to get to flying. But here's, here's what I want you to see, is that I could fly as long as I stayed in the wind. I couldn't see it, but it was enabling me to do something that I could not do on my own. And so the trick was, once you got in, was to try to get in the right position so that you would stay in the flow of the wind. And the Holy Spirit is the same way. He is like wind. And if we want to experience the gifts of the Spirit or the power of the Spirit, the life of the Spirit, we have to learn how to stay, how to get into, and how to stay in the flow of the Spirit. The Spirit moves like wind, and we need to get into the flow. There are certain things in that skydiving wannabe world that you can do to keep yourself in the flow. And the same is true when it comes to following Jesus and being filled with the Holy Spirit. You cannot make yourself be uh, to, to do those things, just like I could not make myself fly, but if I could get into the flow of the Spirit, I could do in the flow, or in the flow of the wind, I could do in the flow of the wind what I could not do on my own. The same is true with the Holy Spirit. When we get into the flow of the Holy Spirit, it enables us to do things we could never do on our own. That's the, why the Bible says, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. In other words, you get out of the flow and you're going to fall, right? If you don't want to fall, you got to stay in the flow. you got to position yourself and learn how to stay in the flow of the wind, of the Spirit. The Bible says it this way, those who walk in the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit, so the way we stay in the flow of the Spirit is by setting our mind on the things of the Spirit, the things that inspire us with the life of God. Now there is other kinds of inspiration that may not be of the Holy Spirit, but oftentimes I believe we limit what is actually the inspiration or the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as unspiritual. If the Bible says, walk in the, or those who walk in the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit, what are the things of the Spirit? The Scripture also tells us in another place, I don't have this in my notes, but the Scripture says, whatsoever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are true, whatever things are of a good report, right? Think on these things. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but that word whatever, how many of you know there's, that covers a lot? And so if you want to stay in the flow, you want to get in the flow of the Spirit and stay in the flow of the Spirit, you've got to learn how to think and set your mind on things that are lovely, things that are pure, things that are of a good report, things that are praiseworthy. Now, this word is full of things that are praiseworthy, lovely, but there's also a lot of things outside of this that we can set our minds on in order to be filled with the Spirit. I, I watched a short film the other day, and it was not like a Christian short film, but it was just beautiful, well done, and inspiring. And I watched it, and there was something in my spirit that came alive with the life of God. And I, I believe God wants us. Maybe it's art. Maybe God wants to use art to inspire you. Maybe it's food. Maybe it's friendships. It definitely should be the Scripture. But God wants all of us to learn. If we're going to move into spiritual gifts, we have to learn how to get into the flow and stay in the flow of the Holy Spirit. 
And so the first thing I want you to see is that wind is unseen. Wind is unseen. When it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we need to allow ourselves to embrace things that are not just visible. Things that are beyond even what we can see. And of course, the Word of God, the Scripture, is always the litmus test for that. We'll talk more about it next week. But wind, number one, is unseen. Wind is unpredictable. Wind is unpredictable. Anybody ever been sailing? Some of you have been sailing. Um, How many of you know you can have a plan in sailing, but it's always subject to the wind, right? You can say, I'm going to go here. I'm going to, we're going to go sailing. Actually, I've been We've been talking about going sailing. Uh, John Parker and I have been talking about going sailing. We're just waiting for the right wind. We're waiting for the right moment. And wind is unpredictable. And the Holy Spirit is unpredictable as well. The Bible says this in John chapter 3, verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. Where did you come from? Where did you go? Where did you come from? Cotton High Joe, he thought that was original. It's right here. <laughs> Says it's, you can't tell where the wind is, is going, right? And here's what I want you to understand. The same is true of the Holy Spirit, that if you're going to learn to be led by the Spirit, you have to learn how to follow rather than leading. You can't say, Here's where we're going. Now, Holy Spirit, I want you to get me there. You have to go, okay, Holy Spirit, uh, I believe this may be where you're calling me, but, but but would you lead me and guide me? Would you direct my steps? That means for some of us, we're gonna have to let go of our plans a little bit. Even when we come together, we we have a plan, we have a song list, I have a message prepared. I didn't just come up with this on the moment, in the moment. But we always are going, okay, Holy Spirit, where are you leading? Is the wind changing? Is the wind changing? There was a, a, a line or a chorus that Kendall began to sing today. And that wasn't a song that she had prepared and written. It was just being led by the Spirit, letting the Spirit lead And if we're going to be led by the Spirit, we have to recognize that we need to learn how to respond to where the Holy Spirit is leading. You know, I I don't know this for sure, but I would imagine, and since very few of you have been sailing, I think I can speak more authoritatively than if there was someone else here. But I, I imagine if you're going to be a sailor, you have to learn how to respond to the wind. Have you ever seen those, actually I do have a friend who was a competitive sailor on one of those fancy, you know, boats and uh, they would always, fancy boats, you saw that, um, they, the key to being uh, successful in that was learning how to respond to the wind. So the wind shifts and, and what do they do? They move the sail to the other side. We have to do the same thing as followers of Jesus. We have to learn how to respond. They have a a statement in sailing, kind of a blessing of fair winds and following seas. The idea is that if you have following seas, the seas are going with you. Or better said, you are going with the seas. It's a lot easier to go with the seas than against the seas, right? It's a lot easier to follow the Spirit. You can try to do things your own plan, but it's a lot easier to go, God, I just want to follow your plan. You lead, you direct, right? And so we have to learn how to respond to the Holy Spirit because wind is not only unseen, wind is unpredictable. Number three, I want you to see that wind is powerful, right? We know that here in Florida, don't we? Anybody lived here for any longer than six months, right? Wind is powerful. Uh, Wind powers great windmills, turbines. And the same is true in our lives, that the Holy Spirit, Jesus said this, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So God's power source to live the Christian life is the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so if you want to live the life that God has called you to live, you've got to learn how to move in the power of the Holy Spirit, being carried along by the Holy Spirit. You can try to get some where and do something out of your own effort, 
That's living in perspiration, right? You're just going to sweat it out, push it out. Anybody ever done that? I've done that before. I've just tried to make it happen. Sometimes we do it out of not perspiration, but obligation. What we feel like we have to do. We, we're just trying to muscle our own way through life. We're trying to, to lead family or business or whatever sphere of life that we're in. And we're just living out of perspiration or out of obligation. But God doesn't want us to live out of perspiration or obligation. He wants us to live out of inspiration. Filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Not just, I should do this, I have to do this. But wow, I I, I want to do this. There is an inward power in me. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. Wind is, is powerful, but power also flows in the path of least resistance. Power flows in the path of least resistance. And so if we want the power of God in our lives, we don't, We can't have this posture of, okay, God, show me what you got. Right? I have to say, God, lead me, guide me, direct me, help me. I need your power. I can't do it on my own strength. So wind is unseen. Wind is unpredictable. Wind is powerful. Number four, lastly, I want you to see that wind is refreshing. Wind is refreshing. In just a few months, we'll be in the heat of summertime, and it's when you go out and you get into your car and like it just burns, right? You know what I'm saying? (laughs) But we all know that feeling of getting in the car and it's just like a sauna in there, but you get going, you roll the windows down, and you begin to feel that wind blow on you, right? That's like the only refreshment that we can get. We just roll the windows down. And let the wind blow on us. And today you'll probably go outside and it's just beautiful weather. If you have hair, the wind may blow through your hair. (laughs) But there's just something. Man, I just took a walk in the park. And uh, again, this week I took a walk in the park and I was like, man, this is beautiful. This is so refreshing. I just felt the cool breeze blow on me. And I just felt, ah, everybody just do that. Ah, doesn't it feel good? The wind of the Spirit is refreshing. And some of us live our lives in that pressure cooker of life. We just let the heat and the pressure, the burdens of life build up. And God wants us to learn how to just roll down the window. And just let that wind of the Spirit. Let me tell you, as a church, we need the wind of the Spirit. You can do church under pressure. I've done it. Y'all seen it? (laughs) Man, I'm going to try it. I'm going to push. I'm going to do it better. I'm going to do it harder. I'm going to give everything to God. Man, it's a lot better to just go. Just let the Holy Spirit come. Just let the wind of the Spirit come. Ezekiel said this in Ezekiel 37. He had this vision of this valley of bones. And he, God told him, prophesy to the bones, speak to the bones, come together. And the bones began to come together. The bones at that point were together. And they were Covered with skin and tissue. He spoke, let there be skin, let there be tissue, let them be joined together. They were together, but they were dead. It's possible to do that. Some of us live our lives there. We're just trying to keep it all together. Just keep it together, keep my marriage together, keep my, keep my work together, keep my, my wits together, just keep it all together. But it's dead. And so God said to him, prophesy, Ezekiel 37, verse 9 and 10. Worship team, you can come back up. Just play softly if you would. Said to him, prophesy to the breath, or speak to the breath, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. 
So I prophesied as he commanded, and breath came into them. And they lived, and they stood up on their feet, an exceedingly great army. What a beautiful picture of the work of the Holy Spirit that takes things that are dead, takes things that are dry, takes things that are broken, takes things that are just a mess, and he brings it together. And he begins to put things together in the right place, but he doesn't just put it together. He breathes life into it. And God wants to breathe life into us today. So we talk about the work of or the spiritual gifts. I want you to know this is not about try harder to achieve something. It's about receiving something. It's about receiving the Holy Spirit. I want to ask you if you would just to stand up. I want to ask everybody just to stay where you're at.